This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to O Radio. We explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. Today's show is brought to you by Synergy Float Center, a premier flotation center located in Old Town, Alexandria, in Northern Virginia. When you take time to slow down, amazing things can happen. Take care of yourself by booking a float, sauna, or one of the other many services today. You can learn more at synergyfloatcenter.com. Today's guest is Owen Marcus, who for over 40 years has explored and developed programs that bring together mindfulness, somatic psychotherapy, and the science of emotional physiology. His men's groups and this alternative model were the focus of the documentary About Men, his book, Grow Up, A Man's Guide to Masculine Emotional Intelligence, lays out how to complete the nine stages of emotional maturation for boys and men. As a director of education at Everyman, Owen, along with his co-founders, continue to develop effective ways to use emotions and physiology as tools to create fulfilling relationships and purposeful lives. Hello, Owen. Hello, Michael. It's good to see you. Good seeing you and your background. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I wish it was real because it'd be nice yeah. to have that behind me. Of course, we're entering the spring, not the fall, but what can I say? Um, so before we get into every man and the work you do in, the, in your books and all that kind of good stuff, uh, which is amazing. I love your book. You actually written more than that books. I also like you to talk about your other book as well. Uh, but talk to us how you got into personal development and how that personal development led to your work in the men's movement specifically. Um, this is back in the mid seventies. I ended up in Boulder, Colorado because I couldn't find a job in the ski area. Ended up with, living in a group or a house with a group of guys. One of them was from Florida and he'd given up his law practice of eight years to come to Boulder to, to learn how to be a rolfer, which rolfing is a, a particular kind of body work where we're working with the soft tissue, the connective tissue of the body and aligning it with gravity and dealing with a lot of chronic stress issues. So Brack was really good at arguing his case. And after a couple of weeks of pushing me and pushing me, I said, all right, all right. You promise to shut up if I just go try. Yeah, yeah. Well, he knew I'd be hooked and I was, and I went through the, the normal 10, senior, uh, 10 sessions in the 10 weeks. And I got some change in 10 weeks, but nine months later, uh, I was three quarters of an inch taller. Within a year, I was a more, I was an inch taller, lost 20 pounds of weight. I'd never been in fashion. And before that, I didn't walk. I sort of waddled. So my physical body transformed mm -hmm. itself. But the biggest thing was my emotional body transformed itself. And I didn't know why I was so tight, but I realized I was. And in the course of several years of doing the rolfing and some other things I was doing in Boulder, I really saw the power of connecting to the body as a way to really facilitate healing and emotion release and retraining the, what we now call the emotional physiology of the body or that stress response. And then I had the fortune of studying with people, people like Ron Kurtz and Peter Levine as they were starting their schools. And so all that just really got me going down this track of somatic psychology and of course, of all that, I became a rolfer, had a holistic medical clinic in uh, Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. And then um, a little over 25 years ago, I had healed, healed a lot of my issues, which I ended up, I had dyslexia and Asperger's and a few other things like dyspaxia. And a lot of the work I'd done had really turned the corner on that. But I realized that my relationships, you know, particularly my relationships with women, they weren't bad, but they weren't good. I, I sensed there was 
something that could happen or there could be more. And I had this resistance to doing men's work, but I called up a friend of mine in DC. He suggests training, started my first men's group out of my clinic. And that was like in the, in the mid nineties. And one thing led to another, uh, moved to Northern California, helped start another group uh, in the Northern California area. And then moved to um, North Idaho, uh, what, 1996, I think it was, and did a few, few groups there. And then 16 years ago, changed the whole model of men's groups and so decided I was going to apply what I'd learned in all these other traditions and, and experiences and create a, a, a group or a program that was based much more on the, the emotional physiology of the body and not just you know, the masculine archetypes. And in the course of doing all that, um, I really learned how to connect to myself much better than I'd ever had before and with others. And then out of that, I started learning and studying and then eventually teaching or within the whole attachment theory, because I realized that I grew up in a house, there was really no emotional connection. And, and being in these groups really taught me how to connect to people. Talk to us about that. So you talked about emotional physiology, you talked about attachment theory, and obviously Rolfing is a very hands-on approach. So kind of talk us through all those things and how they express themselves and you work with men. And then not contrasting necessarily, but you also talked about male archetypes or masculine archetypes as not necessarily the driver of your work, but I have to imagine they play a role. So yeah, a lot uh, there. <laughs> so, Unpack that for me. So what I realized starting off with Rolfing, and there was some science back then that supported it. Now there's a lot more science that supports it, is that fascia, that form of connective tissue, really holds us together. As Hans Selyos said, the fellow that wrote The, the Stress of Life, or the book on stress, and the stress. And so I had a lot of stress, some physical, but turned out most of it was emotional stress in my body. And that's why I was so tight. So when that fascial system released, gradually, a lot of that emotional stress released. And that really set me down this whole path of what you know, we are calling this emotional physiology. And that, I really give Peter Levine the credit for a lot of that because when I started out you know, developing what later became his whole school of somatic experiencing, and that really clicked for me that, um, you know, when we can't fight and we can't run, we freeze. Mm -hmm. So I was a master freezer. Okay. I mean, that was why my body was so tight and my fascia was so tight. And in the course of doing all this work, uh, my body started to melt. And I realized that even though, you know, most guys, I think most guys have what I would call emotional Asperger's. You know, mm -hmm. we just don't know how to feel, express, and connect emotionally. And, you know, women are often telling it, and they try to tell us how to do it. And I think they're really good at telling us when we get it, we don't get it. But because they're not men, they're not necessarily as good at telling us how to do it. And what I found in these groups, first for myself and these other guys, is that it's a safe place to see other guys do it, to, to practice it, to get reinforced, to get feedback, to be held accountable, to, to be honored for when you do these things. And I started learning that, um, you know, 
it was okay to feel, it was okay to express in my own unique way. And out of that, you know, the groups kept on developing. So how do you explain the, the manipulation of the fascia, which relaxes you in a certain way, as you said, it kind of unfreezes or melts you, and the connection to emotional states? Um, so I think most of us know now about what happens when we freeze, which is really PTSD. So yeah, PTSD is when you're in this frozen physiology, but your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system, your endocrine system is still in a sympathetic response. And I was frozen and still in many ways and not very expressive. And so as my tissue let go, it was literally as if, yeah, I was wrapped up in this, um, what do you call it, uh, straitjacket, and it was just taken off. And it was the beginning, not the end. And by that I meant was that I could feel, and this is sort of what I mentioned in, in this book that you mentioned, this, uh, where there's 19 stage or nine stages of development for men, is that it allowed me to pick up where I left off because I was so frozen, which is to stay so disconnected that even though I went through these experiences in life, I wasn't fully present for those experiences. Mm -hmm. And so once my body and its physiology started to relax and I wasn't in this constant frozen state, I could feel things and I could respond to these things in a much more intrinsic and, and authentic way. And I literally sort of had to pick up where I left off in my development. At the time, did you have a specific age in mind? Like, oh, I know through this work that I froze at this age, or was it a series of events over many years that led you to that reactive state of freezing? Um, I, I really started learning about that when I started studying with Ron Kurtz. Yeah. And when Ron developed the whole Comey method, and I was in his first professional training. And I remember having him go through the, the archetypes, the body types, which later on he never really taught, but I still use and I find them fascinating. And so he went through each type. There's five major types that happen um, chronologically. And basically what happens is when you have something, say a trauma that happens, you, you sort of stop in a, in a relative sense, developing at that stage. Yeah. And so whatever type you are is a representative of where you were mostly thwarted in your development. And as he went through each type, I mean, I just got more and more depressed because that's me. That's yeah. me. Yeah. That's yeah. me. And by the end, I was, oh, shit. I'm really <laughs> but one of the first types he talked about was what he called back then the oi type, you know, the paranoid, the schizoid which is when the trauma happens early on, within the first year of life, which could be even before you were born. I was going to ask you, in utero as well, at the yeah, birth and, process. Yeah, and I realized that's where a lot of that trauma happened. Hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the Asperger's was set up. Okay. You know, that early trauma. Uh, and then, yeah, there was some other traumas. And then the last trauma or stage is around um, puberty, which was probably the one that was least traumatic for me, but it was more the earlier ones where I was very disconnected from my own experience. Okay. When you melted and started being more present to your own emotional states, um, was it overwhelming or was it a slower process that occurred? 
because I will hear people at times be concerned about too much melting too quickly, if you want to use the term melting, mm -hmm. and the flood of feelings and not having the resources to manage them well. How, how is that process for you? Um, yeah, I, I've heard that from people. There were moments where it was very intense mm -hmm. because I was pretty tense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my experience in 40 plus years of working with thousands of clients and many of them going through that is something about human nature that it might seem overwhelming in the moment, but I've never seen someone and myself included ever given an experience that we couldn't handle. Okay. That was a healing experience. Uh, and part of the overwhelm is that the coping mechanisms are falling away and they're just not working like they used to. Or I, I, in my case, I just couldn't grab them. And, and I essentially at one moment in this whole process or like healing journey would feel very isolated in this sort of void state where I wasn't who I was and I wasn't who I was going to be or wanted to be. I was just in between and it was really scary. I was just really there by myself. Uh, but in every case, because I went through it several times, I came out much more free physically and emotionally. When you work with clients now in the men's group or, or have for the men mm -hmm. past many years, um, and people are taking new shapes, if you want to use the term, because I heard you say like your old shape, you're moving into a new shape mm -hmm. and that space between is really scary. Do you find that a lot of men also are, find themselves in that um, yeah. unknown space between the new form and the old form? They do. And one of the problems I had or challenges with my rolfing practice, and I still have one that's sort of, well, I did before COVID. Uh, it was pretty part-time, but yeah, I had a large practice when I was in Phoenix. And so I, you know, I worked with a lot of people there. And so I saw a lot of people go through this change. And one of the things that I always wanted for them was some kind of support group for them. Not maybe the normal support group that's so focused on the disease, but more that's more focused on that change or transformation. Because probably the biggest hurdle I would see, and I'm sure you see this in your work, Michael, is that people go through this change and all their friends and maybe family can't understand the change. And they're sometimes threatened by it and they're saying, don't change, don't change. And I'm the only one that they have that says, okay, this is actually good. Let me tell you my stories. Uh, and so what I see with these groups and, and our programs with every man is that we have a, a body of guys have now gone through it. So when a guy is going through it, he has this whole group or community awesome. that's yeah. like has his back. So he doesn't feel like he's crazy. He actually feels like, wow, this does take courage to do this. Definitely. Oh, that, that's great. Uh, I, I could imagine having that kind of male support system is hugely important, especially when the culture that they embedded in pushes against them in the opposite direction. We like your old form. <laughs> we don't like who you're becoming. It's, you know, it's a threat, threat to our systems. Um, have you over time ever worked with the spouse, whether it's a wife or another male? I mean, male these days, because now we can have right. great marriages, but mostly probably in the back in the old days, uh, a spouse would be a woman. Do you ever include them in conversation so they'd understand what might be occurring or do you educate the husband to educate the wife? Like, is there any role in that? Sometimes I get both, but usually it would be one. And, and I would talk to that person about how to talk to their spouse nice. about the change, which would help. Uh, and I always said that person can call me. 
an occasion they did, but that was rare. And then in terms of the men, yeah, uh, I'll talk to the men or we will talk to the men about that. But we do things, and certainly in our groups and in, in Sandpoint, uh, where I normally live, um, we do things for the community. So, so then we have a community of groups and then we have a bigger community, which is a family and we do things like that. So over the years, uh, yeah, there's this whole support structure that has been woven in there. And my partner is a um, couples therapist. And so we do couples trainings together. Perfect. And so in that way, and I sometimes work with couples privately. So yeah, um, some of the times in these situations, I have to talk to the partner and say, look, what this person is going through, I know it feels scary, but in the long run, it's a good thing. When you work, when you, you've worked with clients and, and they're entering that new space and creating a new form and their bodies, you know, through the fascia relaxing and, and emotions start flowing through their, through their body. I would imagine too, the new thoughts, the cognition shifts as well as, as not as, including also spiritual openings. Is, can you talk a little bit about how cognition might shift as well as spirituality might shift in this process? Yeah. If the shift is deep, and it often is from the rolfing, sometimes my coaching, or or these you know the groups over time, one of the first things that shifts or is challenged is their model, which is the cognitive. So I learned a long time ago a couple of things that you know, we need a new model, but you can tell someone you probably know this, the model up front, and it goes in one ear and out the other ear, and so I would mention it. And then when I could sense that things were starting to fall apart, <laughs> I would re-mention it. And it's like, they didn't hear it the first time. They, you know, they go, yeah, I guess you said it, but, but they had no experience to understand it with, which I began to understand what that meant. But when they were going through the experience, they, they would just suck it up because mm -hmm. they stuck this new model in because they realized the other model was limiting, but yeah, we need sort of at least a model to be the transition to our own model. And, and so giving them a model that was psychological, physiological, mm -hmm. and, and then if appropriate, spiritual, uh, yeah, I would do that. And that would really downregulate their stress. Over your many years, I have to imagine when, when men open up to, to new deeper emotional states and new mental models and spirituality, they can then start seeing the limitations of the various institutions, which in many cases were anti-body, anti-feeling. I'm thinking like conventional education as an example, where you, you're not allowed, especially boys, cannot have a body because bodies are a threat. You can't move around. You have to stand still. If you can't sit still, you got to take a drug to yeah. kind of neutralize the energy, blah, 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 blah. Um, what, what do you see coming out of your work with individuals and the effects they ha it has on their thinking about the institutions in which you know, we engage with, like education, like medicine, uh, like psychology? Uh, well, I've always been an instigator. Um, and I think, and yeah, you can probably see this too, when people have a fundamental shift, they start questioning everything. Yeah. And what I like is that they're questioning it, not so much from their head, but from their experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I've, I've seen it across the board, but it's, I, I don't know if I, I guess I do see it more, but over a longer time period when these groups, because, you know, this 
new group or set of groups have been going 16 years. So I got some guys that have been in that long and I've seen the impact that, that works had over them, their families, their kids, their partnerships, their businesses, their professions across the board. And they end up questioning things. And out of that, you know, a lot of these guys end up doing things they never would have thought they would have done, like change professions. Nice. In terms of changing professions, I have to imagine that, you know, a lot of us have been pre-programmed by our culture as well as our family of origin. Like this is the path we want you to take. Um, not necessarily based on the innate drives of any one individual, but on you know cultural forms. So, can you speak a little bit about how once you open people up to their own experience, that can lead to what I might call lifestyle design, including in the professional space? Yeah, that's usually mm. that sort of grief cycle they go through and fear of letting go of this stuff. But as they do that, they create more space and they they start to have this inner passion. And what's great about the groups is that you know, it first comes out as a little whisper. But innately, the guys in the group go, come on, Tom, tell us more. Yeah. All right, I think you should do it. Really? Yeah, you should do it. And, and then you know, they encourage them, they hold them accountable. Like I'm thinking one guy in particular that um, uh, he started out as a, an attorney, wasn't in my group got so changed by it that yeah he's a therapist nice nice and so the group opened him up and the group supported him to do it because at first he you know that's yeah i'm you know i'm a attorney i can't become a therapist and you know the group would say well what do you really want yeah you could do it if that's what you want you could do it so we've had several guys in the course of you know these 16 years that became therapists because of their experience in the groups. I have to imagine that if them as fathers open up to their own experiences and new possibilities, that they show up different for their kids, which then give their kids the pot potential of showing up differently in their own lives as well. Right on. Yeah. And we've, we've seen it because we had a, a whole cadre of guys that came in in the beginning because we just attracted a whole set of guys from the Waldorf school, including oh. their teachers. Oh, cool. Okay. And so, that's been that was sort of a community unto itself we became like a subset of that community and so we've been seeing those kids grow up differently that's awesome and and some of them the guys some of the, the male groups wow i love that um can you talk a little about how you actually groups run like how do you integrate somatic or body practices and what other other practices you might do in an actual men's group setting um yeah so with every man we do two things i mean we 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 sort of connect in a new way for most guys the emotions and the physiology that um, you, you ask a lot of guys what do you feel and they go uh but yeah, you know, yeah. I've never seen a guy that if you asked him what he felt in his body, you couldn't feel something in his mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. And so we slow the process down. We get him to feel more and more in his body. And then when he's connected to his body, we ask him what he feels emotionally. And inevitably, he starts to connect to his emotions. So, I mean, that's a simple thing that we do. And mm -hmm. we keep doing that for some of these guys. And so that one, they get connected to you know you start to feel it three they start to express it nice. and then when they're expressing it they're amazed that 
rather than being ignored, rejected, or shamed, or all the things that so often happens to boys or guys around emotions, they're actually so supported, loved, and encouraged. And, and in the process of doing that, they become a lot more, not just aware of their emotions, but aware of their bodies. And so for me, working somatically, you know, for everything from, you know, something as physical as rolfing to, you know, somatic mindfulness to you know, keep bringing guys back to their somatic or physical experience really facilitates the process. Um, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation that in your, after your 10 sessions, I think you said maybe eight, nine months later, you had lost a lot of weight, you got taller. Um, and, I'm, and I'm very curious about the, not the weight loss necessarily, but the health consequences of the body work. And I'm wondering, can you tell any stories about as these men get in touch with their bodily feelings, senses and stuff, how that changes their relationship to how they think about health and how they treat themselves, diet, nutrition, sleep, exercise, those kind of things? Across the board, because yeah, you see it. I mean, I had another business and the guy, my business partner used to own dental clinics in New York. Um, and so we used to joke because we saw the same thing. Guys don't usually do anything until they have to, or until the wife drags them in, right? Uh, and so guys would see me are all from practice and often in these groups when they're in crisis. Yeah. And that's the excuse or the motivator. Uh, and particularly in terms of rolfing, which is more physical, they had a lot of chronic problems. And there was a structural part to some of them, but a big part, which they never would have thought, and I didn't, was the stress part. Yeah. And you asked most of my clients say a year later, what did you, what was the biggest benefit you got out of the rolfing? Uh, and you see it's a little more, it's more subtle with the, the, the men's groups, but what's the biggest benefit? And it would be the stress reduction, yeah. which is to say, you know, they're more connected to their emotions. And with that, they're not only have they released a lot of chronic stress, but they're not putting it back in because they're a lot more present in their experience. And so, Consequently, they're processing or releasing that stress as it happens, and it's not accumulating. So, what I kind of, if I can yeah. reframe it, what I hear you saying, what can maybe reframe in, in the language I might use and say if I'm correct, um, because they're not chronically stressed, they're um, there's just a general relaxed state. They're not reactive, mm -hmm. so there's more choice. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, and so not only, so might not, might not necessarily be that the situation changes, but their response to it as opposed to reactive to it is, yeah. is a shift. And because they can respond to it, not react to it, the situation might change. That's the quote unquote cause of the stress. Yeah. And okay. where we, as you can imagine, see it the most is it, their relationships with their partners. Yeah. Cool. Can you say a little bit more about that? Um. <laughs> Uh, to mine is sometimes we'll get a guy that comes in the group and after a little while in the group, he says, wow, that's what my wife tells me. <laughs> <laughs> but he's hearing it because we're guys. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, but generally what happens is that as men, we think we are being emotional. And I particularly saw this working with couples when, you know, when I'm like, like in a couple's workshop, dropped in and we're in the middle of something. And the guy really thinks he's being emotional with his partner. 
And his partner's either like checked out, pissed off, or, you know, certainly not connected. And I go over to Fred and go, Fred, no, you're not doing it. I know you think you are, but you're not. So let me un help you unpack this. And one of the things that I see with guys is that we've been trained to, to think that, you know, giving advice, fixing, maybe judgments, you know, all the litany of things like that is really emotional connection. Right, right. And you and I know, and I at least now know that that's not. And they can't understand where their partner's getting pissed off at them or wanting to leave or whatever, because they're working really hard at being emotional. And so I slow them down. I might model it for them, like mm -hmm. one minute of me, because I, you know, I'll know what the guy's sort of trying to say, and I sort of get a sense. So I translate it for him, and and he, or maybe even she, starts to cry because she's finally, or he's finally hearing what he or she always wanted to hear. And this, the guy is like, well, maybe he's not crying, but he's like in this like awe, like, yeah, you're saying it. That's what I want to say. And then I go, okay, now I want you to start saying it. And I coach him and then he gets going. And I say, great, now keep doing it and practice. Uh, and I think for us guys, the biggest thing is that we never had any modeling for, for any of this, at least modeling from men. And because I think men do it a little differently than women. And when we try to do it like women, we either resist or often fail at it. Um, for you, because you've integrated a lot of different um, practices and technologies and techniques into your work. You know, I've heard you talk about Kurtz's work and I heard Rolfing and, and you've mentioned some other you know, uh, inputs into that, into your whole process. What would you say is your kind of cutting edge these days? What, what are you exploring now? Um, hmm, good question. I mean, the edge or the integration of you know, whole attachment theory mm -hmm. and the work around what I call the physiology of emotions, but really the stress stuff and the PTSD, how to one, explain it to guys so they really get it. Okay. Two, create processes so they learn it, not just here, but in their body and in their relationships in the most this way possible. And so I keep honing or we keep honing the ways to do that. Uh, trainings that we do, and one of them is called the MELT training, which is men's emotional leadership. Okay. Training is a training where we teach these guys these skills to use in their groups. And we're getting more and more therapists in these trainings because they're seeing that we're teaching skills that often they never got to learn in therapy. I, really I, how to connect. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, I, I was fortunate to kind of gone to an alternative school, both graduate and postgraduate work. But uh, I would imagine a lot of the conventional schools don't include the body <laughs> at all. <laughs> don't include spirituality at all. You know, might touch on emotions. If you're changing the, your thinking cognitive behaviorally, so you can affect your emotions, but there's no really deep connection with emotions. Attachment theory, is that becoming more mainstream? Yeah, I think it's gotten real. Well, I'm not a therapist, but from what I see, and maybe I'm prejudiced, um, 
I think it's gotten pretty mainstream. Like one of my contemporaries, uh, Pat Ogden, you know her? Oh yeah, I know of her, of course. Yeah, I mean, we, we, she was right behind me training with Ron and, and she was in Boulder and still is. Uh, so she she's done a good job of, has for you know now decades, taking Ron's work and Peter Levine's work and putting it together. But like a lot of other people, she's also brought in the attachment theory work, uh, which, you know, as we know, basically says that we need connection. Yeah. If we don't have it, we're screwed. If we don't have it, it's stressful and maybe traumatic. And, and what it did for me, and I think the work with men, is that it sort of tells us what we might have sort of known unconsciously, that our parents weren't available. But as you know, we took it on as our, as our responsibility, maybe our shame. And when someone says, no, this is a natural phenomena, you need human beings, number one, which was a, you know, years ago was, was a weird concept for me because I thought, you know, I had to be self-reliant. But, but now that there's, you know, science and therapies that go the other way and say, you need it and we're going to teach you how to do it. Uh, I think the culture is catching up to it. And as you also know, that's the whole focus of emotional focus therapy is, you know, working with that whole attachment theory and how it applies to couples. Now, you've mentioned a few different programs of yours. Um, Can you kind of, can you talk about a couple of the programs you offer where people can learn about them? Like who can come? Is it training for therapists and coaches? Uh, what, What is for the layman who wants to join one of your groups or learn these processes? Talk through your right now, um, because of the COVID thing, yeah. we don't have any live events like everyone. Um, so we've moved everything online. We have a membership. Uh, we're not doing any professional trainings yet. We've had requests to maybe once we really get the membership up and running, oh, good. We'll look at that. Um, but right now, it's just supporting men uh, singly and preferably in groups and being a a funnel for them to get into these now virtual groups and giving them the skills to have these groups be successful. Um, before that, and we'll eventually go back to the two tracks we had. We had the sort of experiential track where an introductory weekend for men, uh, a wilderness experience for like 10 days out in Yellowstone, cool. and things down that track. Uh, and they've been very popular. And then the professional development track starting with the melt training. And then last year we did a, uh, a whole professional training, seven month deep dive into the skills. Cause selfishly, we needed more guys to lead our trainings mm-hmm. and we, you know, we needed to train them. And so we did in this, in this seven months training, some was live and some was virtual and we'll do another one of them. And some of them had therapists and psychiatrists in them. And uh, so, yeah, uh, we want to keep developing the professional edge because we have more need for that in, in our business. And we also see, you know, again, the, more of the therapists are coming to us because they're going, you know, uh, I want to apply this to how I work with, uh, you know, men and women. Because what we essentially teach is how to read the body and what to do with it when you read it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, you mentioned a lot of different programs. Where can people find them online? Yeah, they can go to everyman.com and every man has the second E missing. So it's E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com. And uh, right now it's mainly, but yeah, 
join the, the email list and you'll be updated with what we're doing. And one of the things we're doing right now, which has gotten real popular, is we do these um, global calls hmm. at least once a week. Sometimes we bring someone in. Well, we'll get 150 or more guys from literally all over the world. Uh-huh. And it's 75 minutes and we maybe do a teaching or experiential uh, process and they go out into the breakout groups. And then we have these, what we call drop-in groups, which are smaller uh, experiences and more intimate and where we put the guys in the breakout groups. And again, we get guys that just come cold, no experience. And then we put them in these breakout, breakout groups with no facilitator. We just wow. give them, Yeah. That was a little scary at first. We just yeah. give them a few prompts, you know, some agreements like confidentiality and yeah. you can opt out. You don't have to do anything. And these guys come back after 20, 30 minutes in these breakout groups and they're blown away. I mean, I led one two days ago um, and this one guy started because we did like a little check-in. I don't feel anything and da, 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 da. He comes back after, you know, talking to a couple of guys. He's crying. That's awesome. Now, can people find out about or can men find out about these weekly meetings yeah, on they're man. right on the homepage of the oh, site. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to have links to Everyman, but also, you know, if there's breakouts within the Everyman page, just the links to those as well. Because that sounds like an amazing opportunity on a weekly basis for any man. Every yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah, for every man. You know, that's a way for us to put out or just share what we're doing. Right. And, you know, it's just really very rewarding to see these guys come on and at the end, we all lit up. Mm. And so we get guys that a week because, you know, this is like, I talked to a guy in Vancouver yesterday and he had me in tears about how it changed his life. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. He called me and said, I, don't, I just got to tell you this. Um, and no experience with any of this stuff before. Good for him for jumping in. Yeah. That's what yeah. I said. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Owen, this has been great to talk to you. Uh, wish you much success with your work. I look forward to keeping track of it. You know, as uh, as we kind of go post COVID and and you start offering in person stuff, keep me in the loop. Uh, I can both add it to the show notes. So people can know what you're up to. Plus, I just want to know what you're up to. So that'd be that'd be great if you want to. Love to, Michael. That. Thank you. Yeah, good to talk to you. Good talking to you. Bye.